Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today on the show, we have one of the most calming and heartfelt human beings that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting, Nicola Lipscomb. Nicola is a global professional speaker and facilitator who bridges the gap between Western science, Eastern philosophy, and ancient wisdom. She's known for her ability to blend cutting-edge research and storytelling into practical and engaging tips that her audience loves. She is the creator of Heartwise Leadership, Powerful Listening, Powerful Speaking, and Friday's Mindful Moments, and works with leaders who genuinely care about putting their people first. Her work has recently been featured on Inspiring Workplaces in the UK, The Happiness Project in India, and Sidewalk Talk in the US. With a deep love of learning, she has degrees in pharmacy, higher education. She's a master's in applied positive psychology and certifications in neuro-linguistic programming, management practices, training and assessment, coaching, here with the heart and the art of feminine presence. As a former pharmacist and academic, her quest is now one of connection, awakening and belonging. More than just speaking, Nicola is also a poet, a photographer, and a mindful practitioner who adores nature. She loves street art, and she has a collection of op shop denim jackets. She empowers leaders and humans change makers to authentically and powerfully transform themselves from the inside out and positively change the world of work. In this episode, we deep dive into Nicola's journey to find, understand, and appreciate herself how she overcame the fear of worrying about what others may think. And she also shares her story about the battle, her battle with cancer and all the reflections that came from that part of her life. We also discuss some tips and tricks on how to be your authentic self, the art of listening and how to become comfortable with silence. If you love this episode, which I know you will, be sure to hit subscribe button and check us out at synergyiq.com.au and synergyiq on all the social media outlets. Cheers. Welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, your host, and today we have the the one and only and the lovely Nicola Lipscomb. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Daniel. So, Nicola, I've uh, I've taken a bit of a different approach with this podcast. You are an expert in all things human connection, and so I took a bit of a punt and didn't really prepare all that much for this podcast because I really wanted to see where we could go with it. Um, I really wanted to, to deep dive down some rabbit holes with you uh, and not not have any sort of course of action. So uh, I'm going to really leave this one open. And I love it. Yeah, which is good. <laughs> so I'm excited to, I think we'll, we'll always start with a bit of background. How did you become an expert in this world and in, in the human connection world. I know you run some programs called Heartwise Leadership and, and, and stuff like that. So I'm yeah. really interested in your journey to why you, uh, why you decided this human connection piece was, was the bit for you. That's a big question. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. And there's no linear well, step one, I did this, and yeah. step two, I did that. It's much more circular and messy, yep. much more human. 
in fact, Beautiful. to get to where I am now. So let's deep dive into that. Yeah. And part of it is the deep dive into the journey of self. Mm. So how I got really fascinated and interested in the human connection piece was being a human myself. And it's a good start. It's a good, it's a good start. <laughs> um, I don't believe I'm an alien. I do believe I'm a, a human or a spiritual being having yep. a human experience, yep. you know, on this planet at yeah. this time. And my journey of not feeling necessarily seen or heard or understood and being confused by people around me, so wanting to kind of crack that code mm. of what is it? I was looking around me and I could see or think I could see people that were having these really deep and meaningful relationships, friendships, family connections, and I felt that I was missing out somehow. There was a piece somewhere that I was missing because I had a family, I had friends, I had relationships, but I still didn't feel, you know, that real felt deep sense of belonging, of connection, of safety, of trust. There was something in there that was missing. And, you know, you know my backstory. Yeah. There's lo lots of events for backstory. Yeah, feel free to deep dive into those because it's all part of it's all are. It's all part yeah. of it. And what happened, I, I guess, was realising through my life and my journey that I wasn't actually really connected to myself mm. and people didn't really see me. So in the, the words of Brené Brown, armoured up, well yep. and truly, you yep. know, six foot wall, reinforced concrete, all the rest <laughs> of it, <laughs> pretty much. So there what, was what? no wonder I couldn't really deeply connect with, with somebody else. And it, mm. was, it was, you know, fear-based fear of what people would think of me and people-pleasing and a lot of that, like most people, is upbringing, schooling, experiences of not being seen, not being heard, putting yourself out there, getting a slap in the face and going, you know, mm, this is a bit too hard. I, I think I'll, I became a very good observer and mm. a, a very good chameleon to go, all right, in this setting, this is how people normally kind of behave. So I would adapt and adopt and was brilliant at it. So, you know, at school, at university, going into the corporate world, I can remember when I got promoted in the job that I was in at the time to go to Sydney. And so I moved from Adelaide to Sydney corporate environment. Yep. And I suddenly had this massive corporate wardrobe and mm. I knew how to walk the walk and talk the talk to be in the corporate world. Just about got burnt out in that. Moved to Queensland in a much more adventurous kind of bohemian, it was a university environment. Mm -hmm. I'm suddenly in little dresses and cowboy boots and, <laughs> yeah. you know, feather earrings and ad adapting to that because I could see that that's what everybody else was doing and I so desperately wanted to belong and fit in mm -hmm. and in the process of doing so hadn't really explored who I am to connect to me so that then if people, what are people connecting to? Mm. You know, you need to be connected to yourself. Some authenticity there. It's, it's huge it, authenticity. It's an interesting question for me because I, I believe 
personally, adaptability is a, a key trait of mine. I actually hold it as a badge uh, in the sense that I can walk into any room and feel comfortable with the people in there, regardless of yeah. what realm they live in. Uh, but I have never thought about it, about potentially, yeah, holding you back from being actually truly authentic and being your true self. Why do you believe that you you went into that space of of having to seek people's approval and adapt and dress the way they dress and and move? What 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 was that that sort of drove you into that world? The desire to belong, mm. the desire to be thought of well. I had done so well. Did, so did you not think that you could be thought of well by being Nicola? Or did At you the not, time, or did you I, there was a huge fear around that yeah. because um, I guess my upbringing per se was very much around what I did and achievement. Okay, yeah. So did very well academically, did very well at sport, athletics captain, deputy head prefect, you know, straight-A student, all those markers were what I was valued for. Mm. So I didn't have this real sense of who I was as just Nicola as just being. It was all attached to what I achieved. Mm. So I just carried that through. So by the time I was in the, the workforce, it was like, I have to be the best at whatever it is that I'm doing because that's what's valued. And it constantly gets reinforced. And when I was in the university environment as well, I won multiple teaching awards because of what I was doing. When I was in the pharmaceutical industry, I won the award for the best sales rep in that particular um, team yep. for the year. You know, constant rewards. So you're really going against the grain to go, can I be valued outside of anything that I do? And that's a tough thing to get your head around. Oh, you know, it's <laughs> it's one I grapple with every yeah. single day. Yeah. And I think people people do. Mm. They really do. And I think one of the big turning points for me was in 2011. So I was working at Griffith University on the Gold Coast. So I was in an academic lecturing position, sort of climbing climbing the the ladder in that environment and wanting to be seen as a very good academic. Mm. And I'd actually come in from what I consider to be the side door. I'd come in initially on contract doing some professional practice workshops and involved in their placement programs because I'd been working as a pharmacist for so many years. Yep. So it was the professional aspect. But you're surrounded with people who've come up through the ranks with mm. honours, with PhDs, they've earned their doctorates. And that was not me. Mm. So there was a very much an us and them in the academic environment as well. So I was wanting to be seen as I'm as good as with, you know, in the background oftentimes people not um, receiving me that way. Yeah. You know, you'd, you'd be the only person going into to, to meetings without doctor in front of my name because yeah. I didn't have that. So it's the status. That, that's, that yeah. status or perceived knowledge, background, understanding. And it was January 2011 
and I had uh, two summer semester courses back-to-back that I was set to teach. So it was a large workload on my own. I'd come back from a two-week adventure holiday in Cambodia, which I have to say was one of the highlights of my life, Mm. and that in itself, I went by myself, joined a group, nobody knew me, and I had a taste of you know what, I don't have freedom. Mm. I've got only this much in my backpack. It doesn't matter what I wear. I may never see these people again. It doesn't matter. You know, I can remember going on a boat cruise one day in my pyjama shorts because my shorts were dirty. And it's (laughs) like I'd never done anything like that before and being or feeling accepted by this group of people. So that was actually hadn't really reflected on that much, but that was really quite a pivotal moment of experiencing that freedom and liberation and people responding to that positively. Being accepted for being human as opposed to for your achievements, right? Exactly. And I was being me. There was a a freedom in that and realising actually people, there's people here like me when I'm just me and they don't even know what I do. You know, there was people that had no idea what I did. So that was quite liberating. Mm. And then came back to the university and I had a cough and I was peed off because I knew I had to do all this talking with this lecturing and I just had this dry hacking cough. I felt okay. So I finally took myself off to the campus doctor. Being a good pharmacist, I pretty much had the script in my hand Mm -hmm. going, Here's a couple of broad spectrums. This is the one that I'm allergic to. Can you just do one of these? I just need to get rid of this. I thought I'd picked something up in Cambodia. And God bless her and thank you. She totally ignored me, sent me off for an X-ray, saying there's something about that cough that doesn't sound right for an adult. Came back with an X-ray and she called me into the office and we sort of threw up the X-ray and there was this massive white opaque patch that was sitting in the middle of my lung in the x-ray and it's like I don't read x-rays but one side looks completely different to the other yeah you know so there's that that moment where your mind scrambles and goes that's not normal that's not there the first thing you think of is cancer which it was and your mind's going what else I can remember my mind is going, what else, what else, what else? Could it be a cyst? What else could it be? Is it it's some sort of infection that's grown into this, you know, thing? And just scrambling and realising that the most likely thing was a tumour and then going through the process of having a biopsy. It was, but we didn't know what it was. The pathology couldn't determine, so I had a two-week wait before I went into surgery sitting in the complete unknown and one of the options that they had given me was a sarcoma which has a very poor prognosis and a short lifespan so I didn't know Mm. and you can imagine that there's there's a lot of deep thinking that went (laughs) on in that time you know it's kind of a, a crucible that I was thrown into yeah that goes what matters If this was it, have I lived the life that I want? And what it came down to more and more was have I been who I want and how I want? It wasn't the what, it was the who and the how. And 
that really was a, a big leapfrog into my journey of, well, who am I then? If I want to really be who I am and express that in the world, that became the existential crisis of, mm. well, I don't actually know who I am <laughs> to work that one out. And I think a lot of people I would say that. most people would be in a similar boat. They've ended up where they've... Uh, where they are not not by design, but by uh, by mere chance. Your thought process in that moment of not really understanding of whether you uh, had a death sentence handed to you or not. How did you manage your emotions through that time of your life? Surprisingly, there was a a deep sense of calm that I managed to tap into, which I didn't even know I had or existed within me. Mm. It's all very well and good projecting if this happened or that happened how would I respond I really went internally and was able to push the outside world away when I actually think about it it was one of those bizarre situations where having a diagnosis of a tumor and having to have massive cardiothoracic surgery it gave me a really beautiful excuse to tell the rest of the world to bugger off Mm. I'd fallen into that I was so tied into wanting to achieve and wanting to belong and doing the right things I was really lost in that spiral taking things on that was too much feeling highly overwhelmed and suddenly it was almost like I had the window opened to go you can just tell people you're dealing with this and in one sense again there was a bizarre sense of freedom yes I didn't know what the outcome was and there was a huge amount of fear but there was also an incredible freedom that goes I don't have to justify anything now to anybody I Mm. can just say you know what dealing with a diagnosis operation healing so I was, it actually gave me an opportunity in that moment to start to discover who I was, what I liked, what I didn't like, because for every decision, it was like, do I really want to be doing this now, given that, you know, I might only have this amount of time? It really focused Mm. things. Mm. And I can remember journaling at the time as well. It It was the real focus about, Work really doesn't matter Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what I'm achieving there doesn't matter. It really comes down to how I feel and the sense of aliveness and I decided I wanted way more fun and aliveness and joy in my life. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much, so many questions that are coming to... I'm going to jump back to uh, pre tumor diagnosis Mm. where you had this sense of desire to uh, achieve and you were seeking approval that's a common they're common behavior traits that we Mm. see in the corporate world every day right and i'd be guilty i put my hand up as probably being one of those or most definitely being one of those people that are really looking to achieve. There's a fine line between achievement-focused and approval 
seeking as well in the yeah. sense that I I want to achieve because I want to create a community if there's a real purpose there. And then there's I want to achieve because I want people to see me in a better light or I want to increase yeah. my status level. Why do you believe we seek the second more so than the first in the sense that why do we seek the approval and the uh, – you know, the, the, the tick box from people over achieving our purpose? That's a really good question to ask. I think a lot of it comes down to the desire to feel part of something and feel like we belong mm -hmm. and that if we, if we are part of a tribe or a community, a clan, you know, which is human beings, we're wired for that. There is a sense of approval that goes with that. You approve of me in some way for me to be part of this community. You know, I am conforming in some way to be part of yeah. this tribal community versus that tribal community. So I think in a corporate setting, it's we want to feel part of that team corporate setting. So we are seeking the approval of others to achieve that, whereas, as you and I know, that true belonging actually comes from revealing the truth of who you are mm. and being accepted for that. Yeah. But for most of us, we do the opposite because we believe that that is the gateway to that, that sense of belonging. Why do we believe that is probably the deeper question. It's easier to achieve potentially. I think it's easier to achieve potentially and I think it's the society and the structure that we have all grown up and been embedded in. Mm. Yeah. I don't know about you but all my embedding in schooling and university and early on in career, I certainly had no coaching or mentoring or models from anybody that said, who are you? How do you want to express yourself in the world? What matters to you the most? And how can we meld that with what you're doing to contribute? Mm. That certainly wasn't a conversation that no. you know I had. It was all about the outcome. What do you want to be? Mm. Do you want to be in this profession, this profession? It was yeah. all about the the what. Not so what you, that got gets in, embedded in us. So the flaw. This is the fundamental flaw in the education system. Right yes. There. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which we could go down a rabbit hole, but we won't go down that one. I mean, there are alternate um, educational models, you know, that are, that are out there. Yeah, that are, but, that, that that are, through, that but they're not mainstream. Well, they don't conform, do they? Yeah. No. Mean, so this is where the, those human behaviours go back to, well, I want to do what the majority do. It's in interesting. Well, moving into the time, so your recovery stage. Yeah and your process back to work, what were some of the decisions that you made? Some of the decisions that I made were I don't want work to be everything. I want 
life mm. <laughs> to be bigger and have more joy and yeah energy mm. kind of to that and for me it became a journey of getting more into my heart and into my body and connecting that with the head because what I I realized was I was living in my head mm. I really was a cognitive intellectual scientific kind of being to achieve and that works really well in a uh, a linear world where you're wanting to achieve but that I always had that sense of something missing and yes I explored you know in that healing and and post to move from more the west to the eastern mm. philosophies so I started going to yoga tai chi um, buddhist mindfulness retreats um, kirtan chanting went to see uh, sound healings, mm. all sorts of different practitioners and things like neuro-linguistic programming, exploring that. And I got my first life coach as well mm. at the time. So I really was starting, I was looking, I was seeking. And then it was, I'm a massive reader. So I started to look at what else is there. So then when you, and it's like anything, when you have intention and start to ask the questions and look, your world opens up and suddenly, oh, my God, there's books from Eckhart Tolle. I mm. didn't know about him. There's books by Joe Dispenza, Greg Braden, Bruce Lipton, Carolyn Mace, uh, all these alternate thinkers, you know, looking at different philosophies and mm. ways of being and really got attracted or drawn to Buddhism and the spiritual belief systems around Buddhism as well so and what else did I discover the heart math institute I think was a big one mm -hmm. for me and learning about the power and the intuitive wisdom that we have in the heart and starting to actually explore some of the practices with with that and discovering yes it actually shifted my state I felt different I started to connect with people differently so it became a real seeking exploration journey and a lot of it to start with when I was still at the university was in the background. Mm. You know, it was kind of this private domain that building I was... Building the foundation. Building the, building the foundations until I got to a point where it's there is too much incongruence here and I quit my academic job and that was in 2013. So there was a couple of years... There were us still at university and I was working part-time and trying to see where I would fit in mm. and then decided I needed, I needed a bigger break because I could feel I was human. I didn't have that woohoo crucible moment. I'm never going to fall back into doing work that doesn't suit me or saying yes to things that I don't like or, you know, agreeing to spend time with people that I didn't connect with. I found as a human being up and down, I was falling back into those old patterns which were really entrenched. I said, no, so I want to make a bigger, a bigger break. So I quit, sold my car, sold my belongings, put stuff in storage, went and did some more travel. Ended up back in Adelaide, which is where I grew up, and I had every intention of still travelling. My, my big 
life plan was to go to Barcelona mm-hmm. and learn how to salsa dance. I thought <laughs> that's what what a brilliant life plan. <laughs> <laughs> and life didn't go according to plan. I ended up remaining in Adelaide and starting a master's, doing some more workshops, meeting some more people to decide what am I going to do? I was going to go to Barcelona and I thought I'll find myself there. So I had to I flipped that. Have you been that. there since then? I'd actually been before. Mm. I had a conference in Barcelona once yeah. and loved it yeah. and thought I can spend some time. Yeah. yeah. It's on my bucket list. Yeah, yeah, so I didn't get I didn't get there. I decided to change my life in Adelaide and I did. The Books that you read, you mentioned a few names there, like Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. Yeah, and The New Earth, yeah. And The New Earth. Are there – well, I know I haven't read The New Earth, but The, the Power of Now is a must-read for anyone that uh, really wants to understand the mindfulness piece and being present. Mm. Uh, Joe Dispenza is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. That's an interesting book as well. Were they – which was the most pivotal book for you in that moment that you went, oh, actually, I'm onto something here. I can I can really feel this foundation being laid strongly or was it a combination of books? I think it's a combination. I think Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now was definitely a big one and when I read that, again, I almost absorbed it as opposed to cognitively reading it. Mm. It was a matter of taking that in and taking that on. Actually, The Four Agreements, ah. which is a simpler uh, a book about yep. Toltec wisdom mm-hmm. and not taking anything personally was a big one to understand that because I'd got caught into to that egoic self mm. of taking everything on and everything that everybody said. And I can remember having those four agreements up in my office at one point in time and starting to try and live by them. Do you remember the, what they You're going to ask me what they all are, yeah. aren't they? Well, if you don't remember, so a, a big oh, – look, I'm, a, I'm running a podcast, right, and a big fan of my uh, – I look up to the Joe Rogans of the world and the Tim Ferrisses of the world and Joe Rogan – definitely says that the four agreements was the book that changed his life it's the the one that he reads almost yearly mm. uh, i have just downloaded the audiobook actually <laughs> so, so that's why i kind of went oh it's funny you said that because uh yeah it's one that I'm, I'm about to tap into but if you don't remember them that's fine it's just um I, i've heard it's it's done wonders for many people that one yeah book. i know too i don't take anything personally and Always do your best, but understanding that your best changes mm-hmm. yeah. as well. So therefore that brings in that compassion piece mm. as well. That goes with uh, Brene Brown's question of do you feel like everyone is giving their best? We, well, it's a, well I, I might have paraphrased that a bit, but it really is about um, – how can you be frustrated with someone if you ask yourself that question, are they giving it their best? And if they are, mm. it's really tough to be annoyed at someone. Yeah. Um, whereas if they're not, 
then there's an opportunity now to coach them and go, you know, what what is this? Why aren't you giving it your best? How can I help you? Um, I think from the Four Agreements perspective, it comes from the space that we are all doing our best in that moment mm. with whatever else is going on. So if we are feeling like we are struggling, then we are doing the best that we can given that we feel that we are struggling mm. and that therefore it is that ability to accept everybody at the level that they're, they're at and that is and be okay with that. Another one was another one, the agreements, I won't have this word perfect. It's about the spoken word and about being the integrity or being honest with your word because that, and that is a big one that I'm still working on. So my paraphrase of that is speak your truth. Mm. And so often we don't. Mm. And we, we couch it and we phrase it, whereas to really think about am I being honest with my word, and that includes to yourself as well as to others. And part of really getting to know and connecting and understanding yourself, well, for me, if I just speak for me, was being honest about how I viewed myself and the words that I was using with myself. And then that goes into the shadow work of there are parts of me which I didn't like and I still don't like. Mm. And it's learning to go, you know what? And one of them for me is if I'm honest, I'm judgmental. Mm. And I and I don't mean and in the nice kind of Oh, oh yeah. there's a good perspective. I yeah. mean, I do judge people. I have that snap judgment, mm. but I am now acutely aware of that, have much more acceptance and compassion with myself for that. So then you don't get caught up in it. It's like, oh, there you go. There's my judge again. Mm. That's interesting. You know, why has she come up again in this moment with that person? Where's that come from to be able to untangle from that mm. and understand that there is always a golden shadow. So having good perspective is a golden shadow, part of yeah. the shadow. <laughs> you you just mentioned how do you like you sh all people should look at how they view themselves, right? I think so. <laughs> I think so too. I struggle with that though myself, mm. right? And I, I believe that I'm a deep thinker and, uh, you know, I read a lot about the Stoic uh, way. I, you know, I go into and I deep dive into all these different areas but I still to this day look in the mirror and can't figure out where I'm at and where I'm going. Like I have a kind of – I have a strategy. I run my own business and, I, you know, I have a strategy about – what I'd like to do, mm. but I think knowing self is the ever-evolving piece that I'm still trying to figure out. How did how did you get there, and what does it look like when you know who you are? How does how does it feel? These are really deep and tricky questions because what I sense that we're doing is we're asking. We're asking almost an existential, spiritual, felt question, wanting a logical, 
cognitive, let's tie it up in a neat box yeah. answer. It's like I can, it's saying I have, is you can't intellectualize your way mm. into or through spirituality. So that question taps into that thought a little bit. So it's it's not like I have a bullet point checklist that says, yeah. you know, Nicola is. Yeah. And under these circumstances, she does. It's very much a felt sense of freedom, of liberation, of, of spaciousness. There's a lightness. There's a, a joyfulness of simply being. And part of knowing yourself is knowing that you're not going to know yourself. <laughs> there is no one. I don't think there isn't that there. I don't believe there is one oneself. Mm. We exist we are there is that beingness that we have and that we're also connected with with a oneness that goes way beyond ourselves so it's like we flow with that so trying to put those labels on is tricky so mm. part of the finding of the self i think is actually realizing all the labels that we put on ourselves and trying to find ourselves and then being able to remo remove those and go i simply am and mm. in this moment this is who and how I am, but I'm allowing that to come through. Hmm. Did that kind of yeah? Make there is no answer. Sense. I think, but, okay. <laughs> but in in a, in a short <laughs> sense, it's one that each individual has to find and be comfortable with. It's being comfortable. It's it's being comfortable with the being, hmm. and I think one way of probably making it a little bit more accessible is if you had no job, if you had nothing to achieve, if there was no reason for you to earn money that, you know, kind of what those external things were and you were just sitting on an island somewhere, who would you be? What are the, the qualities that would, that would come, come mm. to the fore? Because you're not trying to do anything. Yeah, it's a it's a pondering question that one. <laughs> I um, and Daniel's not going to ponder it right in this moment. <laughs> well, I could. I don't think most people would want to want to hear me go through what's going on <laughs> in my head right now. My head feels like a yeah, a whole bunch of uh, yarn that's all. Mixed up and messed up at the moment, just trying to straighten that out. But I think we're all in that space. We're aren't we? all in that space, mm. and but part of it is the the story and the illusion that you have a ball of yarn that you have to untangle, as opposed to keep going back to our self sits, you know, way behind all that. It's more that presence, that beingness. Mm. So, are you saying that the yarn, the ball of yarn, is the way it should be? I'm saying the ball of yarn is more. The external, if you want to call it the ego self, yeah. and we actually are not that. Okay. So you're trying to untangle something which isn't you anyway. Oof. I know it gets it's, <laughs> it's going. I'm also reading a book at the moment called No Problem No Self, which is about the illusion of self. Yeah, and that that our self is actually a construct. The ego is simply a construct, and that we are not. We don't exist as a self. So I'm still getting my head around that one. Yeah. It's it's about going beyond that and connecting to to a larger, if you want to think, consciousness, and that that larger consciousness informs our consciousness, and consciousness creates the matter. 
that that one's uh, my brain hasn't got the capacity to, to hold that information right now. Uh, why are really? Why do we always go back to? Okay, I'll use the example of of the achievement focus versus achievement for approval and all the above. And and you use the question: If you're sitting on an island, we use the, sorry, use the statement: If you're sitting on an island, who would you be? You know, all these all these brilliant questions come into play. We're really trying to understand each other. We're really trying to understand what our sense of purpose is, where we want to be. But society always comes back and mm. hits a square in the face and says, you need money to be able to achieve something. You need money to be able to experience stuff. If you want to travel the world, if I want to go do the Marku Pichu Trail or whatever it might be, yeah. I need money to do that. So we're always hit. Square in the face with, yeah, you can go and be whoever you want to be, but you're not going to be able to experience anything outside the realm of where you currently live without money. That's, a, that's the issue that we always keep coming back to and falling into. How do you deal with that? What is your answer to letting go or understanding how much you need or you don't need? I guess it's finding the middle road at the moment. Mm. I'm on a path. I've got a long way to go. And I would describe where I'm at at the moment as the middle road, the middle path, where I understand that I do need that income, mm -hmm. the fiscal exchange to yeah. be able to operate and, su and survive in the structure that society has at the moment, not that I will always agree with the structure that society has, but I'm in it mm. and I have enough of a sense to know how to operate within that and enough experience to know how to do that. And combined with that is well, how do I want to be within, within that and when I can come back into more that state of being and in that state of beingness is where our creativity arises from and what am I or, you know, where is, where am I most creative and where does that match somewhere in society that I can offer a service which is going to be helpful, useful, so that I am being myself in what I am creating offer and then have that fiscal exchange mm. occur with that and i am on the path of that mm. in the middle the middle road at the moment yeah. so the idea in in its purity would be what is it that would come through me that would be absolutely me and that there would be an a community and audience for whom that would serve yeah at the moment, it's a bit it's a bit of both of I know what the corporate society in particular are needing and wanting, and I can match that. Yeah. And I am bringing as much of me in the how to shift what's happening externally yeah. as well to help people within those settings realize that they can be more of themselves so we don't have to go from a to z but if i you know i'm not near z i'm a probably about c <laughs> yeah you know long way long way to go but i certainly feel like i am present within myself mm. 
in any interaction that I have, which includes in the work that I do, you know, you what you experience and who you hear and what you see is far more aligned with what lies behind. I'm not trying to impress. Yeah. I haven't got the plan that says I've got to make sure Daniel knows this about me. Mm. It's purely in the moment and trusting and mm. bringing everything that I am and all my experiences together. And it's it's trying to translate that more into the work that I do as well, that it's framed up, but it has so much of me and my energy infused in that and people can feel that. Mm. And then helping people to come back into themselves, into their bodies, to feel into their hearts so that what they are doing becomes more aligned. Because when you do that, often you will realise, actually, this just feels more me and I'm getting a better response for that. So if I've got this choice, a choice point, we have constant choice points, mm. why don't I do that? And it might be an example for you in running a podcast is you might have two people come to you wanting to be interviewed. Now your logical mind can go, you know, pluses and minuses and what would be good and what would be best for the, the audience or what might be a good networking opportunity for, for you or you can kind of step back into yourself and go, who is the person that I resonate with here the most mm -hmm. and choose that and that's coming more from you. Mm. Very true. Yeah, and then you draw different people in. Yep, love it. In a... In a previous conversation, actually, I'll start off with the mental health pandemic that is mm. happening at the moment, not COVID, <laughs> but the actual mental health, anxiety, depression, the whole lot. You've, you and I have had a few conversations offline where you've said that listening can heal. Yeah, I truly believe that. Can you explain that theory to us every human being desires and deeply yearns to be seen for who they are not what they do it's and it's to to feel that attunement that resonance that acceptance if you want to i would call it love mm. so listening is a gateway to that expression of love of feeling truly seen heard valued known accepted held for who you are purely for that essence of who you are and there's a type of listening that you know i tend to call powerful listening or i might call it heart wise listening where we are listening really from an open space of the heart with truly grounded centered in our bodies so that we can receive that other human being and they feel it it's not about being heard because cognitively cognitively we can hear and understand and comprehend and respond we can a lot of people are being heard but there's no felt sense to it mm. so it's that feeling heard and i think when we talk about mental health that's where i think there's a huge gap that people are not feeling heard they don't feel like they're part of anything. That sense of connection doesn't really exist. It's quite shallow or it is on a surface level for, for the what, not the who. And as human beings, it's the who. The who is what connects us and the who gives us, gives us meaning. If we're truly 
received and felt by another human being, you know, we're witnessed by somebody, we get that feedback about ourselves Mm. by expressing and at being witnessed. We hear that. It's reflected back to us. There's a real sense of an increased knowing and accepting and understanding and loving of self that comes through being witnessed by another. Yeah, absolutely. But there's there's always two sides to the story. If you're not, if you, so, yes, we need to become better listeners, right? And we mm. need to become, we need to understand, and listen without judgment, and listen without the intent to respond, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's the famous quote. Yeah, but also, on the other hand, if you're not being heard. Is there an opportunity to improve your language? Is there an opportunity to improve your message? Is there an opportunity to express more? You know, is is it both sides or is it – what are your thoughts? Oh, I feel like that's a, a sticky question mm. that can catch me. Okay. I, just, I, think, I think my personal my personal belief is the onus is on – the listener, because I would say if somebody is not feeling like they're being heard, there's an. I would go back to the feeling of safety, security, trust, attunement that is that is there, and the primary responsibility for that lies in the listener to create the space that allows that message to arise. And I'm talking about listening to connect and truly understand another human being. Mm. I'm not talking about critical listening, comprehensive listening, appreciative listening. There are different levels of listening. Mm -hmm. So I feel that you're asking a question which aligns more with, say, the critical or comprehensive listening to go how clearly are you articulating your message how clear are you on the intention for somebody to comprehend the type of listening i'm referring to is a human connection piece yeah so Mm. the empathy getting in the hole with the person yeah getting in the hole with the person Mm. or i often call it an empathy cloak you kind of wrap yourself around you wrap yourself in a cloak as as them so you can see through their eyes, hear through their ears, feel through their heart as if you are them. How do you train yourself to be a better listener? Practice. A big part of that is that mindfulness piece because we have a massive tendency to interrupt and most people it is done quite unconsciously. Mm-hmm. So one of the big pieces to become a better listener is you need to train yourself not to interrupt another human being and you need to be mindful of when you're getting that urge to interrupt to suppress it and prevent it before it comes out, comes out your mouth. Mm. So mindfulness and being fully present is a huge part of listening, being comfortable with silence so that we can ask a question and then hold for the other person to think. Mm. And most of us are not comfortable with that, to be able to do that. 
But so much of it when we're talking about that deeper sense of listening is the inner work for your, it's, I would call it building your inner listening landscape. You need to understand your own self biases, judgments, behaviors, and then you can apply that. Because really, really good listeners have the ability to put their own ego and self completely aside. And I'm not there yet. Oh. <laughs> but that's what it is. If you really want to hold a space, an intentional space for somebody to fill and receive them, you've got to be aware of where you're coming from. You know, where's your intention? Is it agendaless or not? What biases are there? Mm. You know, what judgments are automatically, what stories are you hooking into? So people who have done a lot of self-development, personal development work tend, but not always, tend to be better listeners because mm. they're aware of where they are getting in the way. Yeah. Start a podcast. <laughs> you <laughs> become a better listener. You almost buy a, buy. By force, you have to become a better listener. But one question I am really interested in is when responding. So I'm I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the hole with you. I've put the cloak on. Mm. We're in the same world. What is my response? Is my response situational, uh, based on the person that I'm speaking to? Is it arm around? You'll be okay, or I'm going to offer you a solution that you may have not a thought of. What What is the response? And I think that's the area where most people fall down is that the if you go back up to that higher level of thinking, you you listen and you go, yeah, well, that's an easy question. I can, I can help mm. you answer that. Uh, why would you ask me a question if you didn't want an answer, right, is kind of where we always sit. So I'm, I'm really interested and I find this a tough one is, and even just in my own relationship with my wife or with my kids, I've got two, uh, I've got two young girls in my, uh, and, and so I'm listening to them and I'm constantly asking myself the question, do I just sit and hug them or do I respond with an idea? Uh, and I'm, I grapple with that. I think everybody does because it does depend on the person and the situation. And people do have also personal listening preferences. Mm. So for some people, for them to feel heard, they really want you to say nothing. Mm. But they want to feel you. They want constant eye contact. They want to see the expressions on your face. And that is what makes them feel heard. Mm. For others, they want an element of reflection that goes, what I'm hearing is I'm getting the sense that. And even those two can be sometimes people would want more of don't tell me what I'm, don't reflect back to me what I'm saying because, you know, I just feel like you're being a parrot. Tell me what you're sensing that I'm sensing. You know, so you can say, look, I can sense that you're feeling whatever it is and that yeah. that makes people feel okay because that's going at a deeper, mm. at a deeper level. And a lot of people, part of the listening is it is helping them go to another level. So 
it's not often offering a solution, it's offering another deeper question to mm-hmm. give them the opportunity to find to find the answer. And with family as well, when you you can have the conversations with people ab- about outside of the that listening conversation, you can have conversations about how people prefer to listen or how they feel to unpack things, to go, you know, the other day when we, you know, you were really upset or frustrated with that and I said this and did that. How was that for you? Mm, get some feedback. And get get some feedback there. But part of listening is reading other people. Mm. It's It's being able to sense that they do need a physical touch, they do need you to come in and step in. And what we do is when we're learning is you just constantly read and moderate your approach. Mm. It's it's a learning. It's a learning. Yeah. So if I talk about, you know, my personal experience with people, I tend to not give advice and fix. I tend to ask more questions. Mm. Which is the true coach's way. Isn't it? Which is more the coaching yeah. way. And at times I will simply ask to go, is it okay if we just sit with this together? And I can read their, attune to their response to go, if there's a, there's a slight body sort of relaxed, to go, yep, yeah, that's what they want. If there seems to be a little bit of, no, you know, an answer. <laughs> then it's like, can I offer in my observation? Mm. Yeah, it's good. I like that. To do that. And that's so the that, same that, with well, physical as well. Yeah. Other than family, it's I I will, again, you can see people and if they feel like it or if I feel into it and go, I feel like you could do with, you know, a gentle hug now. Mm. And, I, and it's it's just a kind of a, mm-hmm. and I will, again, you just read the other person and, and if they, their eyes widen and they lean, it's like, yes. If they kind of go back a little bit, it's like, okay, no, that's fine. Mm. Everything's fine. Um, it's not yeah. really this conversation I, I can see for your listeners. It's I'm not giving really easy answers. No, but I think do, you're giving deep answers, which yeah. is very, I think it's great. So. Don't, don't be judging yourself right now. Um, <laughs> I have my, my inner judge has just cropped up yeah. and gone, what are you saying? No, no, I'm, I'm loving every word. What you, I think one of the more powerful things about Nicola Lipscomb is that when you're in a room with you, you have the ability to create this calming environment. Um. I feel like my heart rate goes down. I, I'm accepted. I'm 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 heard. Right? You know, you talk about that human connection, and that that is obviously your strength. Teach me, like <laughs> teach me that. Like, how do you how do you have that effect on people? And is it something that you you know you have, or is it something that you have worked on, or is it just purely by your own personal growth and journey that you've ended up in this space? I think that was a triple question. Yeah, it was. Triple barreled. Um, I have 
worked on my presence and being myself and then that has resulted in people feeling me differently. I felt different but it's it's only been because I've had it reflected back to me. Yeah. I've had and really probably in the last three to five years I've had people like yourself say that for me to go, yep, this is something that I am able to bring to people and situations, which I wasn't, I didn't used to be because I never used to be told that. Mm. And initially I wasn't aware of it. So it's it's only through that human interaction that people have said yeah. and in workshops as well that people will often say this has a, a been a really engaging, calm and inspiring workshop as safe is a word I get, mm. which I never used to get. Mm. And I go, that's a really powerful and I'm, I love that. It's, it worries me because if people say they're feeling safe in, in a workshop, how are they feeling outside of that? Mm. And yeah, that right. they, will, they will share things or find people have shared things that they wouldn't have thought they would be sharing. It's like, I can't believe, you know, I told that story in, in the workshop because there's this this feeling of, of safety, a safe container, that that calm, that calmness. Yeah. And I would think if we kind of come down a little bit more nuts and bolts, it's the difference between me being present and projecting. Mm. And most people project. They're not actually present. Mm. So they are projecting how they want to be, how they want to be perceived, even something like, being calm you can be projecting that i want people if i if I, I can be trying to make people think i'm calm and feel calm as opposed to the presence of calm that then people experience mm. yeah. so i have done a lot of embodiment and energy work to be very grounded and present in my body to activate energy centers to be aligned and not to be trying to be anything other than in my body, present, open, loving and curious. I love it. Um, you do a lot of work in heart-wise leadership or really sort of leading from the heart. What's the difference between leading with the heart or making a decision based on what you feel is the right decision based on, you know, that heart feeling or a gut feeling or is it one of the same? They are different. I would talk about the three intelligences that we would use would be the intellect of the mind, uh, the intuition of the heart and the instinct of the gut. So we, we probably have more brains, but we know we have a cranial brain, a cardiac brain, and an enteric or gut, mm -hmm. a gut brain. But it seems that the intuitive intelligence of the heart is the gateway if you believe, as, as I do and experience, that I am part of a universal consciousness and an, an intelligence, an intuitive intelligence that I can access, then the gateway for that is through 
the heart. So the heart is the intuition. Yes. And there are different levels of intuition as as well. Yeah. But so we have a intuitive sense of knowing and wisdom. The heart is much more aligned, I guess, if you think about it, of the intuitive knowing and wisdom of who we are and what is right for us. And I think the instinctual gut is more of a keeping us safe instinctive response and the heart is more around the true values that we are operating with and yeah. aligned with i think that's probably one way of so you talk about speaking from the heart yeah and so it's speaking to your values is that kind of what you're suggesting in that well when you work with leaders and you say you know speak from the heart it's, ca- it's yes yes if you had to put language to it yeah it is, it is speaking, it is feeling into what really matters to you in that moment and speaking from there. So it's not, it's not about speaking to impress. It's not about speaking because I'm trying to make an impact here or it's, it's speaking from a deeper sense of this is what really matters to me and I want to share that. But beyond that, what you do with it is up to you. So if you're working with a leader, um, coaching, doing leadership programs, whatever it might be, and they're, they've got a team of 20 people underneath as part of their team and they need to, they're the ones who are keeping these people in check and on the right, in the right direction, following the strategy, uh, meeting their KPIs. Mm-hmm. How do you have those conversations from the heart? How do you say, this is what's really important to me, you need to hit these numbers? <laughs> <laughs> or is that not, are they not correlated? They need to work together. Mm. Numbers is, you know, cognitive. Yeah. So... The way I, it's a paradigm shift for people in leadership, whereas I don't want people to be operating from numbers and and KPIs. I want people to be operating from that real humanistic people focused, what really matters, what do we value in achieving here? And once we're clear on that, okay, brain, mind, cognition, strategy, what is the best strategy to do that but not starting necessarily with strategy? Okay. So it's not that we dismiss strategy and KPIs in the corporate world and in the structure of the world that we live in now. Who knows what will happen in 100 years' time, but yeah. at the moment that is the structure that we lead, we lead and live within. But it's leading from the, the people and the heart and values and then how do we achieve that with the mind, and then checking in on a regular basis with the heart to go, all right, is this still aligned or are we moving off track? Mm. Have we got caught in the KPI and the numbers and the strategy and lost sight of what's happening at a a human people heart-focused world? Mm. Because there'll be a felt sense with the numbers as, as, as well and the process if we are operating from a yeah, a, a, a truly 
heart-based paradigm. But I'm not saying ignore the head, no. but I'm saying bring that in, in service of. Yeah. Just work it the other way around. Just work the other way around. And so in a corporate speak, that's, that's really values, purpose, meaning. Yeah. Of individual and strengths-based and people being allowed to bring their whole selves to work, the diversity and inclusion, peace, the belonging peace, and now collectively we can be actually much more creative about what we're trying to achieve and go, all right, mind, brain, you yeah. can come in now. So is that your typical, uh, is that the typical work that you would do with leaders? Because you, you, you obviously do keynotes, um, you, you work with leadership teams. You yeah. Work with, if I'm a leader of a business right now listening in and going, oh, shit, I'm loving every single word that Nicola's saying, what, what am I calling you for? To come and do a HeartWise Leadership Program, yeah. which starts with self. So it's developing and understanding yourself so that you can actually access the different intelligences that you hold, the different points of wisdom that you hold so that you can utilise that. So there's a, there's a whole lot of training and practices around developing yourself and then looking at how we can embed that within the organisation, but it always, know thyself. It always, always, always starts with the leader as a self and their self-development and I'd call it a heart-wise journey development, which takes, but the programs are at least start at six months yeah. to be able to do that, to really dive yeah, it's in. It's not an overnight fix. It's not, not an overnight fix. And with the coaching that goes with that, because once you start, you've experienced this, once you start to change yourself, People relate to you differently. Mm. New information becomes available. Things shift. So what you think you're wanting even for a project at the start of a project shifts because you shift. So your perspective shifts. So you see things differently. Yeah. So you approach something differently. So a different idea comes and a different opportunity comes. Yeah. But you couldn't have strategically, cognitively planned for it. There's a little bit of allowing for emergence. Mm. Hard concept for a lot of leaders, but it's change and it's allowing for the, uh, that emergent positive change. Yeah. It's amazing when you learn um, these methodologies and you take them on and you introduce them into your everyday life. You almost... It almost becomes as if I didn't know this before. Like you almost ask that question, how did I not know this? I almost feel stupid for not knowing this before. And so it's funny because you can often learn one thing. So today's, today's a Thursday. I learned something on Wednesday. Tuesday I had no idea this, this methodology even existed. Yeah. But Friday... I'm out there in the world telling everyone, how do you not know this stuff, right? <laughs> so it's it's yeah. really interesting how quickly we can change our behaviours. And then you then start embodying it and you start growing from it and you start um, learning from it and introducing it into your language. And, and that's where I, I feel like you see, uh, you know, a big chunk of early change coming into your life. Yours? You can't unknow yeah. something. Well, that's true. 
once you once you once know you it and once you've experienced things so i'm a big believer in experiencing mm. so for growth and development and to be able to experience what it feels like to listen from the heart and speak from the heart i guide people through processes so they literally feel it it's like oh my god it it feels differently and if we talk about just listening from that space the difference between listening from your head and listening from your heart moves from task to people from negative to positive from disconnect to connect from not being able to solve to more creativity and i've had this because i do there's a particular exercise i do with leaders and teams and workshops and an, the language, the words don't come from me. They come from them mm. over and over and over again. They're putting language to the difference of how it is when they listen from a different space, when we open up that space. And it can sound a bit, you know, woo-woo, but, no, but it's, it, it, it's grounding people into a different intelligence mm. and a different energetic space, a much more coherent physiological alignment and then you, you suddenly, people hear things that they literally didn't hear before. It's like I didn't know. And that person's saying, I've been saying this for 12 months. Mm. And it's <laughs> like I've only just heard it now because I'm listening different. There's a different part of my, my being that has been activated. Well, I think I've, that's been activated in me today. I, I, I always understood the importance of listening and almost the empathetic listening I didn't correlate that there was listening from the brain and listening from the heart, which is really interesting. So that that's um, I'm going to go home. Maybe I don't do that enough at home. <laughs> I'm yeah. always uh, listening with the intent to solve, mm. which is uh, yeah. Look, I know that's a, that's probably part of my perfectionism that that comes into and wanting, yeah. particularly when. It's, it's family and people that you love dearly. You don't want to see them hurt or suffering in, or even uncomfortable. We do that. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the, the challenges that us normal humans face as yeah. well is sitting in the discomfort yeah. of somebody else's discomfort and going, yeah. it's, you know, are you trying? Are you trying to fix them for them or purely because it will make you feel better? Oh, it has to be because you feel better. I think I'm okay with people being uncomfortable. I'm absolutely okay with that. What I'm not okay with is things moving slowly. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. So it's that. That's your it's discomfort. The, yeah, it's yeah. the real. It's the speed of it all. It's like, hang on, I've, this is something we've talked about. This is something that we've worked through. I should be seeing results, right? Like that's in my head because that's how I would approach it. Mm. Like I, someone tells me something, I've always, and that's that adaptability trait that I'm coming back to. If someone tells me something, I will go away from this conversation now and really distinguish between listening with the brain and listening with the heart. I'll know which one I'm listening with and I'll be very um, um, I'll really understand where that comes from now. So I have this ability to switch it on then just keep and then move. And I have almost that expectation with most other people. If you learn something, the next day you should be applying it, right? So uh, that is something I'm working on <laughs> yeah. personally. And Gabs would probably sit there and understand that, like, you know, if I mention something, it's almost 
it, it's almost an unwritten law that I would want it the next day and everyone, but I also understand that it can't be done the next day and it's something that might take weeks or, or months or so to take come into play. You have the, this, we have spoken about when you are teaching leaders to speak with the heart. You're working on something at the moment mm. that you, you're a bit excited about. Can you tell yeah. us what that is? I'm doing um, speaking masterclasses, oh, which I've, I've started. And it's using those concepts that we've been exploring today about really changing the inside so that the way that you speak really comes from a deeper place within. It's far more authentic. Your voice changes. It has a deeper resonance to it. And part of that speaker masterclass, we really dive into creating your own speaker archetype. So I don't have set speaker archetypes because everybody is different, but we really look at who you are, what your character strengths are, what you value, and the purpose for you as an individual wanting to speak. For some people, they are. It's about speaking on stage. For some people, it's wanting to be taken more seriously in a meeting. For some people, it's they have to present to the board, so they Mm. want a sense of authority. And then we, we work out a speaker archetype and we design a totem for that Mm. so that people can then embody that. It's a very different way of teaching people how to step into a different speaking space. And then we add that with the power of presence and mindfulness and we look at verbal, vocal and visual confidence. Mm. So I'm using my experience and my journey of growth, awakening and being embodied and present and combining that with my professional speaking experience, training, expertise to sort of marry the two together. So it's all about speaking from deep within and owning that by creating an archetype that you can really visualize visualize and step into which is authentic it's not you know creating something this is this is you as the speaker with some of the tools around to help people do that but it is not about structure and powerpoint and Mm. hooks and yeah yeah. it's it's find somebody else to do that but if you really want to change who you are and how you show up in the moment to really engage an audience, yeah. This one. That's what I'm the to- yeah. So the totem, is that like a, an animal type? Is that what you're referring a to? Symbol. A symbol. Yeah, I'd yeah. refer it to it as a totem. Yeah. So it can be an animal or in the last workshop I do, um, one of the women in the workshop, it was a universe of stars. Okay. That's That was the image that for her really, really worked. Mine's a panther. Okay. So there is that, there's the strength, there's the fluidity, there's a calmness, but there's also an element of ancient mystery mm. for a black panther. So that is the animal that I embody when I'm really wanting to be present and speaking and for me from stage. Mm. You can almost just see the grace <laughs> of that panther just walking up on the stage, can't you? I love it. 
Look, we're just over, we're well over the hour mark oh, now. That's, my goodness, that's flown. Uh, that has flown. Um, so we finish off the podcast with what we call a rapid fire question. I'm not going to hold you to quickly firing through these. We do can deep dive and they often ask, um, I often ask more questions out of it. So, but we are big readers and we've talked about the Eckhart Tolle, the power of now, Eckhart Tolle, the power of now and um, Joe Dispenza breaking the habit. We also talked about, is it Miguel? Jean. Jean. Miguel Ruiz. Yeah, Miguel Ruiz, the four agreements. What's one book you're reading right now? No Problem, No Self. No Problem, No Self. I think it's Michael Niebauer. Okay. And it's where neuroscience is catching up with Buddhism. Ah, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, so that that's the concept of no self. So when we have a concept of no self and understand it's all a construct, then we have no problems. Yeah. That's so it's a mind, it's a mind bender. And I am loving it. <laughs> and what what is the most, other than those three that we've just mentioned, or are they the most recommended book that you've gifted or told someone to go read? Or some other books from understanding self is, I think, the, where I want that answer to come from. Is what's a what is one great book for understanding self or thinking differently about self? There's lots. I do like Brene Brown's books. Mm. So all of them. Yeah. I think. The gifts of imperfection for me was. There was one before that. Um, I think that, well, that was, yeah, there was one before that, but I'm not sure if it was one of the best. Which was, I thought it was just me or. Could be. Something. Michelle should know. know. Michelle yes, Michelle would know. Would know. <laughs> the gifts of imperfection is a, a beautiful one of, mm. of understanding that we are all imperfect and that is okay. Mm. Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life, okay. was a powerful one as well, which mm-hmm. I think that the idea that we are way more empowered than we think we are mm. is a big one. Um that's right. We'll leave it yeah. with those. Do you uh, do you listen to any other podcasts? Because obviously you listen to the creators. Obviously, <laughs> I would listen to this one. Um, I actually don't have a particular podcast. I dip in and dip out of lots. Yeah. So I'm actually not going to answer that. Okay. One. If you could invite three people. To a dinner, dead or alive, mm. who would they be? Buddha, yeah. Um, Mary of Magdalene, oh. and who would I like at the moment? Gosh, oh, um. Russell Brand. Oh, hey, good, Russell. <laughs> Why Mary Magdalene? What's the connection there? Again, there's a very powerful book I read by Megan Watterson called mm. uh, Reveal mm-hmm. and she talks about 
the lost gospel of Mary. Okay. And it again, it's the gospel according to Mary. So it's the 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 missing feminine piece mm. and the the power that we have within us to be um, connected with the divine and that we are not separate from the divine. The divine is within us and it is in our hearts and it is love. Mm. So that really resonates yeah, with me. Absolutely. And again, you know, the the, the whole I would just fascinated by Christianity and Catholicism what's and what's happened and how it's the patriarchy there versus the feminine which has been pushed aside but is coming back mm. 2,000 years later. Mm. You had access to a time machine. You could travel forward back. Where would you go? Somewhere in the world where I could experience being fully connected in a culture which is connected with Mother Earth, some shamanic kind of Mm. where I could have those experiences of being completely connected with the spiritual world and Mother Earth. So whether that's in an Amazon jungle somewhere or in... Peru, mm. somewhere like that. The idea of no technology is quite mm. nice. Yeah. It? And living that life of pure connection with nature and the natural world mm. and in flow with that. Yeah, that's lovely. So if you had one superhero power, what would it be? I had one superpower. Well, if you could choose one superhero power. Unconditional love. Oh, for everyone. If that power, if I had, that I could live by that and gift that, yes. Yes. What about for those who commit really bad crimes? How would you treat that situation? That's a hard question. (laughs) I'd want to be able to separate the essence of the human being from the crime and it doesn't take away from how terrible the crime is and the pain and the suffering that it's caused, but there's still a human soul there that I would want to be able to unconditionally love that part of that person Mm. and if you could gift that person unconditional love would they not then have a true understanding of the pain that they had caused and the remorse and the desire to make make their lives completely different from that moment Mm. i don't know that is uh that's deep separating the the two Mm. i love it i love it thank you very much for your time today (laughs) thank you it's been um it's been a whirlwind i think and we've gone (laughs) into a a few a few rabbit holes which have been great i definitely going to take something away 
If we want to get in touch with you, where can people find you? They can. Probably the easiest is on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Just look for Nicola Lipscomb on LinkedIn and have a look, reach out, message me. I do have a a website, nicolalipscomb.com as well. But the easiest way to get through to me and where I engage the most is LinkedIn. LinkedIn. That's my favourite platform. Beautiful. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time today, Nicola. It's been, been great. Thank you. I've loved every moment of it. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you next time. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page, where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.